May the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day to all, although you aren't all mothers, you all head mothers, and I know you're giving thanks for them today, treasuring them in your heart, whether they're with us in this shore or a brighter shore. Just take a moment and think of our mother in our heart and what a blessing she was. And I know you're doing all kinds of wonderful things to make your mother feel special and appreciated today. And some of, now some of them have dragged you to church for Mother's Day, and you have to listen to me. There's an old Spanish proverb that says, An ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. <laughs> and a minister once paid tribute to his mother, My mother practices what I preach. So, good old moms. Well, happy Mother's Day. Happy I'm going to think about happy for a few minutes today. Are you happy? i got to say, you often don't look very happy when you come to church. So, and I know sometimes that's just because you're thinking about something else. I can remember the days of coming into church with four little ones. And anyone who brings four little kids to church, you know it's been a battle getting here, right? And uh, so, But you open the door and you're kind of expected to have a smile on your face and make it look like it was effortless. When we're happy, we tend to express it by smiling. But a lot of people have trouble reading people's expressions. And uh, that's harder. So how do we express our happiness? You know, the poster, there's a poster of an American eagle, the face of an American eagle, looking very stern and dour. And the caption underneath is, this is my happy face. (laughs) So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? What makes you happy? Does going to church help your HQ, your happy quotient? Or is it a duty, an obligation, or something you do for others? What's the opposite of happy? Sad? Maybe angry? Lonely? In her new memoir, Daphne Merkin writes about her life struggling with depression, and she calls her book, This Close to Happy. Didn't quite get there, but knew that that's where she wanted to go. Graduates are happy to graduate. I know at our 8th grade in St. Francis School, they're ready to move on. They're just hoping to be happy at their new school. Mothers want their kids to be happy. I think at the, the root of everything, the mothers want many things for the children. But I think at the bottom of it all, they just want their kids to be happy, to find their happy. And I think in that regard, moms are a great reflection of God. God wants us to be happy. Sometimes we get the impression that God just wants us to be perfect or holy or righteous. I really think he wants us to be happy. This notion of happiness is central to us as Americans. In the Declaration of Independence, we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as something given to all human beings by their creator And government is meant to protect it. So let's look. I didn't know what to do with the gospel reading this morning. So uh, let's let's look at Psalm 1. Would you take out your bulletins? We're going to look at the Psalms. The Psalms, of course, were the prayer book or song book of the Israelites. Seminal to who they were and how they 
interacted with God. And two, for the early church, down through the centuries, the Psalms have been so important. If you haven't read all of the Psalms, uh, I recommend it to you as your summer reading to sink into the Psalms. Billy Graham once said that he read five Psalms every day, so every month he read through the whole book of Psalms. So, let's have a look at Psalm 1. So, Psalm 1, and therefore the book of Psalms, begins with the word happy. So, that's pretty significant, I think, that what we're looking for in here is how do we be happy. Sometimes this word is translated blessed, or fortunate, or prosperous. Uh, Eugene Peterson in the message says, translates it, how well God must like you to be happy. I think there are three couplets in the six verses. The first two verses are about what one does not do and what one does do to be happy. Three and four have a comparison of the righteous and the wicked. And verse five and six looks at the end result. And I think when we come to verse six, you might see something uh, intriguing and interesting. So let's dig in. Verse one, happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seat of the scornful. So you see these three different activities, walking and standing and sitting. It's kind of the reverse of how a baby grows up. We all know how great it is when our newborn baby learns how to sit. At some point they sit up, they wobble around, and then they find their legs and they stand And then they begin to walk, and you know you're in trouble with that newborn (laughs) knows how to walk before they have any sense. So there's three, there's meant to be a progression, I think, going on here. One commentator said, it's like verse in the, um, the counsel of the wicked, walking in the counsel of the wicked is like our pattern of thinking. Who do we go to for counsel? Who do you go to for counsel? We go to the media. Who tells you how you can be happy? Did the media... Is it your financial advisor, politicians, the cool kids at school, your kids? Who tells you how to be happy? So there's many places we could go, but whose counsel should we be looking for? It says not not the wicked. So that it's a pattern of thinking. How do we think? How do we choose? How do we decide? The next stage, then, is lingering in the way of sinners. So the Hebrew is actually standing in the way of sinners. It's like a pattern of behavior. Our thinking influences our pattern of behavior. So we're not to what to stand in their way. And the third couple is the pattern of identification. So when we sit, when we take our seat amongst people, they become kind of our tribe, our identity, become who we are. Where are we sitting? Where do we want to sit? Where do we belong? There's a lot of talk about where we belong these days. So three kinds of progressions, three kinds of people that we're to avoid, the wicked, the sinners. And the last one is rather interesting. It's the translation here is the scornful. Some translations call it the scoffers, or one of the older translations calls it the seat of pestilence. The people who just deride God, who mock him, who disdain him. Okay, so that's verse one is what we're not to do. Verse two is what we do do. And two verbs here, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. Delighting in the law might sound to us like an oxymoron. Those who want a freedom in this world, how do you delight in a law that holds you back or makes you feel that you didn't do the right thing? And so we need to remember that the law isn't just the itemized things to do and don't, but this whole span 
of God's plan for us. This fact that God has revealed himself, has told us who he is, what he's doing, and what our response should be. So we delight in a God who has delighted to reveal himself. He has a plan to bless us and prosper us. And we need to pause long enough to understand what that is. So our law is not to be a drudgery, but a delight. Because it comes from a God of love. And so we need to take the time to see his fingerprint in the world around us. See him in the face of our friends and neighbors. See him in the, in the face of those around us. His law is a law of love. I love the story. There's apparently a rabbi who had such affection for the word of God that he would sneak into the synagogue at night when it was dark and no one else was there. And he would go to the tabernacle and open it and take out the big scrolls and he would dance with them in the aisles because he loved God's word so much. So we need to make a choice. When we go for counsel, our choice is to spend time in God's word, in his presence, to perceive his ways and his plan and his intention. And then it goes on to say, in his law, he will meditate day and night. An older translation says, in his law, he will exercise himself. Or another one, he says, he will pour over the law. That sense of we delight in it, we understand it's from God, and now we need to apply ourselves to it. To bother it like a dog bothers a bone, trying to extract the sweet marrow, soaking oneself in the grace of God, sinking down deep into his love, taking the time to do that. I know it's hard to do that. We live in a very busy world. Life is busy, frenetic, harried. But it's our choice. At verse 3 and 4, then, we move on to a comparison between the righteous and the wicked. So the righteous, in verse 3, says, There are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season, leaves that do not wither. Everything they does will prosper. It is not so with the wicked. They are like the chaff which the wind blows away. In Hebrew, the two words are very similar, tree and chaff. Tree is etz, chaff is motz. And they're very similar looking, but they're so completely different in their end result. So the, first of all, we have a tree. And this is meant to be, I think, it, uh, who we're supposed to become. But more than that, the church fathers down through the centuries have seen this as a picture of Christ. That we're planted, that he's planted and rooted in God, that he has the streams of water, that his fruit and the leaves for the healing of the nations and that we're to access ourselves to him. You know, Scripture begins with the tree, tree of life in Genesis 2, and ends with the tree of life in Revelation chapter 22. Of course, in Genesis 2, we also have another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we make a bad decision. And right at the end of the whole saga, the whole narrative, we have the tree of life again. Just uh, watch, look at verse 3 as I read from... Revelation chapter 22. See all the correspondence. So this is from, I'm reading Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and in the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You see the correspondence. 
what we see in Psalm is a foreshadowing of the messianic age, of who we are to become, the one we are to be in fellowship with. And Paul says in Galatians 3, he refers to the cross as a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so Christ for us takes on the punishment of the law so that we can see the law. Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, helps us to understand the law, what God's intentions were. Grounded in him. Accessing the water that refreshes and provides for us. Bearing fruit. The the demonstration of our life for the healing of the nations. Prospering. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff. If you've ever worked in a harvest, I grew up on a farm and I can remember vividly being in the granary on a hot summer day when they're shooting the grain in and all the chaff and dust was coming off and it was sticky and itchy and worthless. And that's the image we have of the wicked. These are the people we've been tempted to, in verse 1, to go to seek their counsel. But God is pointing out their counsel is not good. It will not lead you to anything substantial. The scoffers will not submit to God, will not give you secrets to be happy. And then verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. So our psalm, in a very artistic way, begins with the wicked and ends with the wicked. You might seek his counsel, but they are doomed. The way comes up both times. Did you see the way of the sinners and the way of the wicked? And in the middle of that, to give it highlight, is the way of the righteous. You would expect verse 6, I think, to say, the Lord, the way of the righteous prospers and the way of the wicked is doomed. But it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say the way of the righteous will prosper. What it says is, the Lord knows you if you are in the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's very much like Robert Frost's poem, Two Roads Diverged in a Wood. We're presented with choices, and we have to choose. It's a thing of the will. It's the counsel of the will. I think a lot of the solutions to our problems begin with the fact that God does know us. And we need to be convinced of that, that he knows who we are. He loves us. He knows what we're going through. But more than that, we are then called to participate in that, to be known by others and to know others. There's an interesting article on NPR radio about loneliness. And it said loneliness is on the rise in the U.S. Interesting, in this age of social media, people feel loneliness all the more because our Facebook friends just post things when they're having a great time. Loneliness isn't just a feeling but an ache that people feel disconnected More than half of the survey respondents in this major survey by Cigna, more than half said they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. I try to remember young people, your mother does know you better than you think, probably better than anybody. And when graduates go off to college or a new school, my prayer for them is not that they accumulate a lot of friends, but they find one friend that they can know and allow themselves to be known by. And I think the church is so well positioned to follow God in this, to let people know that they're worth our time, to look them in the face, to listen to them, and to allow them to know us 
and for us to be known by them. So God is a happy God and wants us to be happy. If your happy quotient is less than 5 out of 10, would you come and see me? Sometimes we think it's just the way it is, but that's what we're here for as a parish, to help you have that inner sense of significance and joy and contentment and fulfillment, and to do it together as a parish. So may God give us grace on this Mother's Day and honoring the graduates as we move on from here and walk in his way to be wise, to know that he knows us, and to spend the time with one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.